This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is part three of a six-part series. If you missed the first two episodes, go back and listen so you'll be caught up on the story up to now. In today's episode, we're going to look at how this group of people became the first industry to sue big oil. Previously on Drilled. It was just awful. I mean, we couldn't pay the bills. It was just a nightmare. We almost lost everything. It was pretty depressing. We before Christmas, it kind of was like, you know what, this is getting serious. You know, we were thinking, oh, we'll be open by December 1st. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every morning. I take it before I start my day, even before I have coffee. I gave it a try because I felt like my immune system was kind of shot and I had low energy in general. And it has really helped me feel like I am getting all of the nutrition I need. It makes me feel focused in the morning and energized and just ready to take on the day. And no wonder I feel so good. It's got 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients to improve gut health, mood, to boost energy. It's even making my skin look better. I've never been very good at taking supplements or vitamins, things like that. But AG1 makes it super easy. I just make a smoothie with it in the morning. And if I don't have time to do that, I just throw a scoop of powder and water and that's it. AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live a healthier and better life without having to do very much. It's my kind of product. I also love the single serving travel packs because when I'm away from home, it makes it easy to keep up with a routine keep my nutrition up, and stay healthy. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com drilled. That's athleticgreens.com drilled. Check it out. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. 
In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. We have to do something, and that something to date has been closing and waiting multiple years for federal disaster assistance that may not even be delivered. That's Noah Oppenheim, executive director of PCFFA, the West Coast Fishermen's Trade Group. When crabbers finally started their 2015 season after a lengthy delay, they were desperate to make up for lost time. Then word got out that crabs were congregating off the central coast near Morro Bay and Monterey. So crabbers flocked to the area, like seagulls to a beach picnic. I crabbed out of Half Moon Bay for a month, and then we picked everything up and trucked all our gear down to Morro Bay. And there were some crabs down there, and we spent the rest of the season there. Ben Platt wasn't the only one to make a mad dash for the central coast. The Dungeness crab fishery is what they call a derby fishery. So if a boat wants to travel and fish in a different district, it can. But that meant that a lot more crab pots, those large round cages that crabbers trap crab in, were in these small bays, along with crab boats and the crab buoys that crab pots are attached to. So add more buoys and rope to these crowded bays. It was also later in the year than usual, which meant the crabbers were about to collide with whale migration season. And at the same time, the warm water hadn't just impacted the algae and the crabs, it had shifted the entire marine food web. That's exactly what scientists in 1968 had predicted would happen if emissions went unchecked. In a report commissioned by the American Petroleum Institute, which counted every U.S. oil company as a member at the time, Stanford University scientists wrote, quote, changes in ocean temperatures would change the distribution of fish and cause a retreat in the polar sea ice. That's happening now, and it's leading to a cascade of issues that are depleting the world's fish stocks. As rising temperatures kill off plankton, the fish that survive on them are decreasing in numbers, as are the fish that feed on those fish, and so on and so on. In this episode, we're going to look at how all of that has landed crabbers in the middle of not one, but two lawsuits, a whale entanglement suit filed against them and a liability suit they've filed against the 30 largest fossil fuel companies. Both suits are ultimately about climate change and the way it's changing marine ecosystems. And together, they provide a really good example of why everyone should be paying attention to what's happening in the oceans. This is the story of two industries, one fighting to survive, the other the most powerful in human history. The outcome of their battle could very well determine whether and how we act on climate change. I'm Amy Westervelt, and this is Drilled Season 2, Hot Water. We had these unheard of changes in ocean conditions. We had the so-called warm water blob and the ocean temperatures really increased. And then that caused a reaction. So the really small fish called krill moved and their abundance changed. And that's what the whales eat. So the whales chased that food and they came closer to the shore, which brought them into contact with our traditional fishing grounds. And if you'll remember, at that time of year, the crab fishing started late because we had this high 
bloom of algae and domoic acid. So it was like a confluence of all the worst things, real climate change impacts, whales moving closer to shore, crab gear being placed later because of domoic acid. And we just saw this huge uptick in entanglements. That's Chuck Bonham, California Fish and Wildlife Director. Krill are the preferred food of migrating whales along the coast. And on top of there being less of them, those that remained had moved closer to shore. That led to a major spike in whales getting entangled in crab gear. That spike in entanglements drew the attention of environmental groups. But with warm water and no krill and high concentrations of crab gear, it was the perfect storm. Dick Ogg captains a boat out of Bodega Bay and has been very involved in the Dungeness Crab Gear Working Group that formed shortly after that fateful year. Dick is a really interesting guy. He's been a vegetarian for 40 years. He's been fishing for about 20 years. And he doesn't eat during the day for a reason he never gave me. And he's seen as sort of a leader in the crabbing community, something of a spiritual guide. So when Dick told me his theory on what was going on with whales that year, I knew to pay attention. There seemed to be a lot of crabs down in the Monterey Bay area. So the majority of the fishermen went south and concentrated gear in an area there off of Monterey. So not only was there the migration of the humpbacks occurring, but there was also a situation where their food source was right in the middle of where all the crab gear was. And in addition to that, the product that the whales were after, the anchovies were very, very high in the molic acid. So the whales were eating tainted food. So whether that affected their reactions and how they responded, you don't know. That theory hasn't been tested yet, but a number of other folks told me similar things. And it tracks with what marine biologists have observed in marine mammals since warm waters started triggering these toxic algal blooms. On top of the fact that warmer waters are upsetting the food chain, causing seals, sea lions, and whales to starve to death, the domoic acid triggered by the algal blooms is messing with these animals' heads. This sea lion is having seizures, poisoned from domoic acid, a deadly natural toxin being found in very high levels from California to Washington state. So it's really not so far-fetched to think that domoic acid-rich anchovies made whales more likely to get tangled up in ropes that year, on top of everything else that was going on. This week, Drilled partnered with a fun and fascinating quick hits science podcast called Everyday Einstein. It's hosted by astrophysicist Dr. Sabrina Steerwalt, who explains complicated scientific concepts in quick eight to 10 minute episodes that make the complex accessible. She answers questions like how can you tell if your tap water is safe to drink and clears up common areas of confusion like whether wormholes really exist. And just like the drilled team, Dr. Steerwalt is committed to debunking misinformation about the scientific concepts shaping our world. She's done episodes on everything from why vaccines bolster herd immunity to how we know climate change is linked to more intense extreme weather events. It's a great show and you're bound to learn something new, including tips on how to explain this stuff to other people. Find Everyday Einstein on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, back to the show. The working group wasn't just sitting around and talking about stoned whales, though. It also proposed some restrictions around fishing when whales were present. But ultimately, those proposals weren't enough. 
the Center for Biological Diversity, an Arizona-based nonprofit focused on endangered species, sued the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, threatening a shutdown of the fishery entirely. We were a part of that working group for a couple years and were very frustrated at the lack of meaningful changes on the water. That's Kristen Monsell. She's the lead attorney on this case for the Center for Biological Diversity. The working group largely was talking about voluntary measures, which we know simply don't work. And it was just a lot of talk and there was no actions that met the words. It's the sort of thing that will get fishermen talking about how much they hate environmental groups. In a lot of ways, crabbers are as skeptical of big green as they are of big oil. Lori French has a lot to say on this subject. They always have to have some crisis that they're collecting for. The whales or the banded snails or a three-toed pigeon. There's always some crisis that they're pushing for in the name of save the environment. And it seems that they never really solve the crises, but they're always willing to put people out of business. And Ben is also distrustful of the intentions of environmental groups. My opinion is that some of these NGOs are just self-perpetuating organizations. And Ben has seen representatives from environmental groups storm out of negotiations and become increasingly involved in fisheries management in a way that just doesn't sit well with him. In my opinion, what they're doing, in essence, is so arrogant because they're coming in and saying, we don't trust the process. So they're telling people that have spent their life's work is in fisheries biology and in fisheries management and in fishing and in processing. We know better than you. We have to save the process because you guys are screwing it all up. Every crabber I spoke with said similar things about environmental groups. They don't respect all sides. They're using whales for fundraising. They're all bloated and just looking for causes to keep themselves going. Which is amusing because half the time, probably more than half, they're on the same side. When we're talking about salmon water, we're usually on the same page. But as soon as we go out on the ocean, I mean, it's kind of like we're all fair-weather friends. As soon as we go out on the ocean and start trying to make a living, then sometimes we're at odds with this recreational fleet. Sometimes, oftentimes, we're at odds with some of the environmental groups. I mean, we all love whales. We all love sea otters. We all love, you know, up in Alaska, the orcas are major pests to the longliners. They steal a lot of fish. But, you know, we deal with it. And sometimes it's really irritating, but we understand that we share the ocean with these marine mammals. It's also funny because a lot of people would probably see suing the oil companies over climate change as a pretty radical environmentalist move. But both Lori and Ben reject that identity. Crabbers are very into preserving resources, and the crab fishery is one of the most sustainable in the country. They toss females and small males back, which ensures that the crab are self-sustaining. And they've historically agreed on various self-imposed regulations that ensure the fishery can continue. So it is an unhappy coincidence that this would be the first fishery shut down by warming oceans, not by overfishing or stock depletion. And it wasn't a one-off. Noah Oppenheim, the head of the Fishermen's Trade Association, says demoic acid closures are the new normal. We are going to be looking at demoic acid, this neurotoxin that accumulates in the tissues of crabs and other shellfish species, impacts driven by climate change every single season in perpetuity. It's disruptive, it's damaging, it destroys communities, and we do not have appropriate mechanisms to support fishermen when 
these events occur. In the aftermath of that 2015 season, the California Fish and Wildlife Department successfully secured a disaster relief package from the federal government, totaling $200 million for California fishermen. The package covers issues across several fisheries, and crab fishermen are expected to get $15 million of that. But the funds have not been allocated yet. The money has never materialized, and a lot of folks have given up on it ever appearing. I know there's a lot of guys that are worried about this with disaster funding that we're still supposed to get. And, you know, this season there's people who could use it. Meanwhile, like Noah said, the closures have continued. And just as crabbers were experiencing that terrible first year, reporters uncovered something new about climate change. First, a new tack in the battle over climate change, going after energy companies for alleged financial fraud. Exxon's history has been the subject of recent reporting by Inside Climate News, the Los Angeles Times, and others. The reporting has alleged the company misled the public about what its own scientists found about the risks of climate change and greenhouse gases. A treasure trove of documents revealed that oil companies had known the impact their product would have for decades and had set about discrediting the science and spreading confusion about it. The role fossil fuel companies played in stopping action on climate change was surprising to crabbers. Here's Noah Oppenheim again. The deep regulatory capture of federal agencies and representative bodies has been the most surprising aspect of this whole discovery phase of the inner workings of the fossil fuel companies, the extent to which they have bought and paid for policy, basically co-opting democratic institutions in order to get their agenda furthered. I mean, that's been American politics for generations, but it feels different in this instance. It feels like it's been effective beyond anyone's wildest dreams. When crabbers and lawyers first talked about whether or not they might have a case against oil companies, a lot of the fishermen had a similar reaction as Ben Platt. At first sniff, it sounded like, you know, pretty far-fetched. You know, my initial reaction was just like a lot of other fishermen. It's like, well, I have a diesel engine in my boat, so why why would I want to sue a fossil fuel company? And I was still fairly skeptical about whether or not I wanted to be involved in it. I was aware that there would be backlash from other fishermen over something like this. We're all going to have whatever opinion we have about whatever particular fishery issue we're talking about right now or having a meeting about or strike or whatever. But we're very divided, just like the rest of the country, on, on national and international politics. So, you know, I have to live with all these guys. These guys are my buddies. They're my friends. They're people I grew up with, you know. We share communities together. And these coastal communities are tight-knit, too, not just the fishing communities. And if you've been fishing long enough, it's like one big family. A lot of us know each other and knew each other's parents and brothers and aunts and uncles and sisters. And I have that kind of connection with people from Morro Bay to southeast Alaska. So I'm reluctant to be part of something that might anger a lot of other my fellow fishermen. But, you know, in the end, you know... You have to stand on principle that you believe in. I mean, I, 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 that's what I was taught. And so if I separate all that from the facts of the lawsuit and what they're trying to achieve, I believe it's the right thing to do. Enough of the rest of the fleet agreed that the Trade Federation decided to take on the case. Just as the whale entanglement case began to move forward, 
Crabbers decided to take matters into their own hands and sued what they'd come to believe was the real culprit. Fossil fuel companies knew about the warming of the climate. They knew the effect it would have on the ocean. And they had all this information a long time ago, and they didn't share it with the public because it would have affected their bottom line. Next time on Drilled, a recap of what oil companies did know about climate change and when, and what sort of case the crabbers have. We need to start doing something. We have a long road ahead of us, and if we don't start, we're never going to get there. The same time that there's this public promulgation of doubt, you have internally the companies making enormous investments in their own infrastructure and planning for the future. Everybody uses fossil fuel petroleum products in the United States. You can't buy food without it. You can't travel in this country without it. Uh, You can't wear clothing without it. So while the products that we as consumers use every day may be produced by this industry, that does not negate in any way whatsoever the responsibility that they have in disclosing the harm that they knew was being facilitated by the production of these products. Drilled is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. The show was created and reported by me, Amy Westervelt. Rekha Murthy is our editorial advisor. And additional editing for this series was done by Julia Ritchie. The series was mixed by Bill Lance. Our season two music was composed by Elliot Peltzman. Season two cover art was drawn by Angela Shea. Drilled is supported in part by a generous grant from the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. You can listen and subscribe to Drilled on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, don't forget to give us a five-star rating. It helps us find more listeners and combat pesky climate deniers. Visit our website, drilledpodcast.com, for behind-the-scenes photos and additional information about this series. You can also drop us a tip or story idea there and sign up for our newsletter. Or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Amy Westervelt. Thanks for listening. 